welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're here to talk about Season 3, Episode 2, titled Dark Wings, comma, Dark Words. Uh, what do you think of this episode? I feel like uh, a chapter two of the premiere, because now we get to see what's been going on with Brienne, what's been going on with uh, Brienne and Jamie. What happened to Theon after he got his ass knocked out at uh, Winterfell? Like, all the open questions we had after last episode is kind of, like, put put the rest in this one. So mm-hmm. I thought it was uh, super interesting. And there's a lot of interesting character work that you forget about. Like, the little detail of... Uh, that's kind of a recurring detail in the television series of um, Joffrey being kind of, like, a little fashionista. <laughs> Okay. Like he's uh-huh, very yeah. involved with wedding preparations and remodeling and his wardrobe mm-hmm. and, his and fancy which, weapon and yeah, yeah, which which I think is an interesting little detail for him. Mm-hmm. Like that he uh despite being such a monstrous person, he cares so much about his presentation and mm-hmm. looking like a particular way. Uh it, it does feel like he cares about that for himself. Like a lot of people with that fashion forward view kind of care about mm. that as how they present to other people, but mm-hmm. he's and like pleasing other people. But mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like that's him, right? He's doing it because he feels a certain way about himself, right? And he wants to represent that to other people. Yeah, I wonder how we got it. Like, I, I feel like there's a part of me that says that this was like the one lesson that Tywin <laughs> droned on about in his youth that he picked up. Like, uh-huh. you should, you know dress for the job you want not for the job you have or something like that's the one thing joffrey like oh i'll take that nugget Ding! because <laughs> right and everything else can go out the he, other he ear. does look regal when he's not being slapped by sure. his mom or Tyrion. he does yeah. tend to to look the part of a of a handsome boy king mm-hmm. um, and without a single flower that so. is no get those flowers out of here it's bad enough i'm marrying one i don't <laughs> want them on my my fancy costume what'd you think uh yeah that's a good way to put it it's a you know chapter it's a part two for the the first episode almost um game of thrones is really good at that at juggling however many characters it needs to at one time to feel like you're engaged in every story at once you know huge cast it's a big world uh and they always manage to kind of keep all those balls in the air right it's one of the things i really appreciate about this show and it never feels like a a cost-cutting measure although i know that's Mm -hmm. part of it because they've got like a globe's spanning camera crew and everything's isolated and there's a units b units probably down to def units um <laughs> but it never feels like that it, yeah. when when game of thrones is firing on all cylinders it feels like everything is just like kept up in the air perfectly and then when they do zoom down to a single focus episode watch the fuck out mm-hmm. because <laughs> shit's gonna go down uh and it feels very rewarding so yeah um we're in classic peak Game of Thrones, and uh, it, it just feels effortless. Everything is just just going, just loping ahead effortlessly. Yeah, I agree. All right, are we ready to get into the recap? We are ready to get into the recap. Before we get into the recap of the episode, I wanted to run down some housekeeping, some stuff that's going on here at Bald Move. Uh, we are watching HBO Sharp Objects, another HBO show. It's, we're, it's a miniseries based on the novel, same novel by Gillian or Gillian Flynn. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. It's a great little, um, I'd say it's Southern Gothic, but it's more like Midwest Gothic. Uh, mm-hmm. Murder mystery, maybe some supernatural twist in it. I'll have to see. Keep my eye on that lady in white. Uh, we're also about to embark on our voyage of season four with Better Call Saul or Better Cast Saul podcast. We'll be doing, I think that that comes back like the first week of August, and we'll have a uh, a season preview uh, probably the week 
uh, before that. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, definitely the week before that. That that releases on a Monday, so we'll have our podcast on on thir- uh, Wednesday rather. Uh, we're also doing uh, back in the swing of things with first run bald movies. Last week we saw. The very enjoyable, crazy action pick, Skyscraper starring The Rock. This week, I'm going to be watching Mamma Mia 2. Uh, here we go again with my wife, Cecily, who's a big fan. We'll be talking about that tonight, tonight, Thursday. Uh, we've also moved our Twitch uh, TV streams from Monday and Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to Tuesday and Thursday. If you want to see Jim and I hang out and play video games and kind of chat with us, keep us company. Oh, we're also getting back into our uh, commission podcast. We just released uh, Pride and Prejudice to 2005. Um, version of that, uh, Paul and uh, commission, uh, Paul, Paul Kilgore commissioned that for his wife. I thought it was pretty cool. And finally, I want to mention uh, we're still a couple weeks left in the book.baldmove.com campaign. This is me doing a Kickstarter to raise money to professionally publish uh, this book that I wrote with a religious scholar about the religions of Game of Thrones and Westeros uh, called Gods of Thrones. Uh, we actually completed our funding last week, so thank you for everybody that's backed. Uh, but there's still some other things going on. We're coming up with some stretch goals to try to uh, see how cool we can make the project. And you can still get some really cool merch and some cool reward levels. Check it out, book.baldmove.com. All right, we start off with Bran dreaming that he's walking through the woods, and he tries to kill a raven while his brothers give him some advice on how to do it, and they laugh when he fails. Uh, Bran calls his father's name into the wind as Jojen, or some mysterious boy. At this point, don't want to don't want to get in the mid episode spoilers. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you, you've seen this episode by now, unless you're unless you're listening to the podcast in sequential order with the scenes. That's the only that recommended weird. way. Like, yes, you should watch a scene, pause, listen to our commentary, watch a scene, pause, uh-huh. or play it simultaneously because our uh, analysis go. tend to be one to one the length of the episodes. That'll probably work out well. Also, they sync up. I don't know if you're aware of this, but if you play them backwards, that, it all syncs up. And, sure. And, you have an out-of-body experience. Yep, Tyrion's a giant, Hodor's... <laughs> you see Bran's dream in your head. <laughs> Tyrion's a giant, Hodor's a dwarf. <laughs> right. uh, it, it gets crazy. Uh, when he when he wakes up... Actually, Jojen shows up and tells him that Bran... Uh, tells Bran that he can't kill this raven because he is the raven. And then uh, Bran wakes up and Asha really doesn't want to hear about this dream. She, I don't know for what reason she may be a superstitious, but she insists they have to move. Because she has a bad feeling about the whole thing. Well, I mean, she's a wildly wildling woman in this feudal culture. She's superstitious as fuck. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, as a co-author of a book on Game of Thrones religion. I'm comfortable <laughs> saying that uh, that Asha is is superstitious and mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a kind of afraid of her own shadow, and uh, for good reason. Like, there's shit she's not understand this guy is you know like like the the lord of the north just got his house pulled down after he got his head cut off his son's having these weird dreams with three-eyed crows and wizards and mm-hmm. that's and you know like she says like if there's other intelligences in your dreams kind of like who else could be watching you know and a plus we yeah. also found in this episode that something the wildlings know that is not common knowledge in the north is that there are aerial drones in effect mm-hmm. so just because you think you're alone doesn't mean necessarily you are so it's like staying on the move seems like a a prudent course of action yeah and what's common to all the stark children but sansa at this point is they're all on the run you know they're all being hunted by forces both human and potentially non-human right uh so they they have every right to be <laughs> paranoid and scared uh, anything else in that scene, or shall we? Move Just Hodor, on? like you know, being concerned, you know, coming in Hodor when when Bran is like having a bad dream, and then when he says it's fine, Hodor, I just <laughs> fucking can't. I'm, I I can't get enough of of Hodor. 
All right, Talisa is flirting with Rob in a weird way. She's doing it by calling him a grim, bearded, stinking barbarian. Uh, I guess he's he's into that because they start That's to make Cecily out. likes calling me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they're interrupted by Roos, who has two messages, one from River Run, one from Winterfell. Rob goes to his mother with the news that uh, her father has died, but even more bad news, Winterfell has been burned and Bran and Rickon are missing. Yeah, that's so. Dark wings, dark words. If you didn't know, is a as a, a a quote that Ned liked to say, mm-hmm. uh, especially a lot in the books, uh, referring to the fact that if you're sending a raven, it's it's not normal. I mean, sometimes it's like, hey, the king had a baby, and welcome princess so and so into the world, uh, new marriage, yeah. But mostly, it's the crops have failed, and we're shit out of luck, or this lord has invaded your <laughs> lands, or you know, the citadel says winter is coming. Finally, father. You're right. Uh, so, so, and we see here you get double ravens, double barrels of bad news. Yeah. Uh, death of a grandfather, and oh, by the way, your your ancestral family throne is uh, been been burnt, burnt mm-hmm. up, and your 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 and your kids are missing. Bro- yeah, your brother's dead, probably. Probably. Uh, yeah, I would also argue light wings, dark words too, because light wings herald the winter. Yeah. Uh, and the winter is not a great time. Especially no, for the north, no. So just wings, dark words, right? Honestly. Yeah, just any anything that start, yeah, any wings that bear words, just be always treated with skepticism. All right, then we move on to a short scene of Theon being, uh, he he's been left by his men and captured, and he's now being tortured. Uh, nothing by, to see here by men unknown. Yeah, we don't really know what affiliation they have, and nope. that's kind of a mystery. Not yet. And not by the end of this episode, I assume. No, right. Yeah. It's, uh, I think we're gonna have to we're gonna have to unfold the mystery over the next weeks ahead. Yep. All right. Then we go to Jamie complaining about how boring the journey with Brienne is. She doesn't talk, doesn't make jokes. She's just walking. A giant toe-headed plank. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and they talk about Renly, and Brienne gets pretty angry when Jamie makes light of his sexual proclivities, and a man walking through the woods meets them and and he kind of walks on and jamie says hey we need to kill this guy because mm-hmm. he's essentially seen my face and brian refuses which will come back later to bite them yeah i i i knew that it did but i was surprised that it was at the end of this episode yeah yeah it happened really quick um but it's like man he really i mean the poor guy i mean what what do you do you can't like brian can't kill this guy on a suspicion mm-hmm. Uh, but it was ultimately the right thing to do. But, I mean, it's it's interesting conversation. Like, you know, she's like, well, he's innocent. And he's like, well, are the Stark girls any more innocent? And you're trying to get their, secure their freedom. Like, Jamie's a a real fucking devil uh, on her shoulder here. I also enjoyed the sparring because, yeah, Mm -hmm. he calls her giant toe-headed plank, but she comes back with a cool kingslayer. Mm-hmm. Which is a direct insult on his honor and, and manhood and all that other stuff, which he then escalates by talking shit about Rinley. Uh, I don't I don't know. Like, uh, I'm not saying Brian's bringing any of this stuff on, but, like, she she spars with him like an equal, and he treats her as such. Uh, yeah. And then later on, they spar, you know, for real. So, and it does feel like Jamie here is, you know, not just picking these fights to pick these fights. He's learning a lot about Brian uh, through these you know conversations he learns a lot about her relationship with renly mm-hmm. um more about her relationship with catelyn stuff like that that he could potentially use to manipulate her mm-hmm. and get out of this situation he's in you know he is he's feeling for openings and he later finds mm-hmm. one at the end of the ep- episode as she lets her guard down for a micro instant and shoo, he's got a blade so yeah 
but I I I really like the I don't know what do you call it the opposite of chemistry. Uh, <laughs> you know what what yeah what is what is something that there's a there's a learned phrase for that which halts a reaction like a moderator or something I don't know but yeah it's it's that it's the it's the it's, it's the cold wet blanket of chemistry yeah um yeah no it's great all right we move on to Joffrey uh he gets pissed at his tailor when he tries to dress him in flowers and Cersei is there and she asks what Joffrey thinks of Marjorie and the He's not really interested in talking about Marjorie or really anything. Um, she tries to offer some advice to him, but he is just too shitty of a human being to hear it. Uh, he thinks he knows everything. I'm, I, I'm questioning like what Cersei is doing, sort of openly insulting Marjorie, like talking about how little fabric she wears and essentially calling her a whore mm-hmm. to her future husband here. Like that doesn't seem like a good strategy, Cersei. It doesn't, but it does work because Joffrey then, like, you can tell he's bothered by it, even though he pretends not to, because he then probes Marjorie along those lines, and she easily, easily outwits him um, and tells him what he wants to hear. But I feel Mm -hmm. like that, like, I don't want to, I don't want to take anything away from Cersei's skillful manipulation of her son, because... I think she was really taken aback last season by how quickly she lost control of the situation. So now mm-hmm. she's trying to be less matronly and more well, seductive isn't the right word, but sly. Yeah. And like or an almost satanic. Like, you know, like when the serpent came to Eve, he didn't be like, Yo, eat this apple. She, he was like, Is it true mm-hmm. that your God, your father, told you that it you know, it's like all this uh weird Socratic method stuff or she's just, I'm just asking questions, you know, yeah. not, I'm not hurling accusations. I'm just trying to, you know, and, and planting seeds. It, it does. It does. And, and, uh, it works. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think he doesn't want flowers? Because I feel like as a fashionista himself, he, the, he would admire the fusion of the Lannister, like sigil with the, the, the Tyrell sigil, but maybe he's just so monomaniacal that he doesn't want, even as he acknowledges that with the Tyrell strength will crush the Northerners, he doesn't ever want to give that credit where it's due publicly. I don't even know that it's about the Tyrells. I I think it's simply him wanting to present strength and power and, and he views flowers as very feminine and Hmm. weak. Okay. I think he's just that much of a shit. <laughs> All right, that's possible because he did. Like I, I, I did notice the guy came back with like a very Lannister crimson red sash. Yeah. Um, and I, that's I gotta true. say, I think Joffrey's outfit is pretty badass. Like the base fabric he's wearing is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks it looks pretty awesome. Um, but man, he's got some just. Cersei has to swallow river shit to make this one or two points because, like, that line where, you know, he she's kind of trying to, like, you know, why did, you know, why did she marry Rinley? And he's like, because she was told to. That's what intelligent women do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> really a big, a, a big rebuke of, of Cersei, who's maybe not the smartest, but she's also not the dumbest and sure. I think smarter and more perceptive than Joffrey. Easily. So the irony here is, is pretty thick. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know he doesn't need to do anything. Doesn't need to do anything except for uh, get get a, 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 a more Lannister shade of red on him, and then he'll be fine. Yeah, I do like the way that Marjorie and Cersei's battle over Joffrey is taking place in these isolated, uh, you know, events with right. Joffrey. You know, right. they they don't want this out in the open. They don't want to battle each other face to face. 
they want to do it behind closed doors right and influence this impressionable young person yeah no it seems like the like he goes with whatever advice he kind of got with last right so all right we move on to shay trying to caution sansa to be careful around Littlefinger. he might be looking for sex or maybe even other favors that that she can't perceive yet she tells Sansa to let her know if he tries anything, and Loris shows up to escort Sansa to Lady Elena and Marjorie in the gardens. And Elena is extremely frank in her discussion of Renly and his quest for the throne, and then she sort of pumps Sansa for her opinion of Joffrey. And Sansa says all the right things, which greatly disappoints Elena. But when the subject of her father comes up, she cracks, and she finally tells Elena that Joffrey is a monster. Yeah, like, I think Sophie Turner did a great job of portraying this really broken child trying to decide if this is yet another trick Mm -hmm. or if this is something that she can trust and believe in. And then trying to, like, dance on both of those, like, saying something crazy and then trying to excuse her traitor's blood. And, like, I I thought it was good and, and honestly pitiable. Uh her her performance here and i mean this is our first introduction to lady olena it is it's brilliant it's memorable yeah i love her <laughs> uh the whole like her abuse of the household staff her dismissal of her entire family calling her son a fathead calling her father <laughs> like like her husband wandered off a cliff while falconing and died that way uh-huh. like just how and loris is doing the same like, right like like how how she just can't get over how incompetent the male members of her family are and yeah. you gotta wonder like so how much power does she really have is she just like cursed to be this perceptive woman who has lived along enough to be able to see how the game's played but been unable to play it? Is she the real power behind Tyrell? If so, why do, why why is Highgarden such a fuck up place, you know? Why sure, is all yeah. this all this shit happening? Like I think it's uh, maybe because she's been marginalized, you know, <laughs> as, right. as much as women are in that that world and in today's world no i think she's a fascinating character and uh, miss riggs uh mm-hmm. really brings her to life uh the the phrase there's well there's no squirting to cream back up the cow's udders like it's mm-hmm. it's it's really funny it is i also noticed everybody in this scene is is playing their part you mm-hmm. know sansa is desperately trying to play her part uh and then i guess fails at the end but marjorie is playing her part there's a little bit of like good cop not so good cop going on like when marjorie right. says you know oh oh grandmother can't you see she's so scared like right. back off on right. her a little bit right, and then, right right you know elena doesn't she goes right in do you think there's any element did they do you think that the like just from what we know now i guess there's not enough information for it this is more of a spoiler speculation but hmm. i think it's fascinating to wonder like yes it's performance but is there any real sympathy or empathy for Sansa? Like, would yeah, would they help her, and why? Would they help her because, as Tyrion later says, she's a handsome face with the old family name, and you never know when that might be handy. Sure, like to con- like you know, if we can get her married to one of the uh, Tyrell boys, that would solidify our you know place in the realm because mm-hmm. obviously the North would have a lot of affection for the Stark <laughs> name. I- could there be some kind of mediation between right. the Starks and the Lannisters? Right. Half the family is Stark, half the family is Lannister? I mean, that's one of the interesting questions I think about, like, even Marjorie is, like, how much of her act is a put-on and how much of... Because she's a chimera. Like, mm-hmm. if she's married to this uh, closeted gay man, she's all about, like, hey, we can get my brother involved and 
and you know grease the wheels if we need to like and, and yeah. she's got a murderous psychopath and hey i might want to dabble in some light murderous psychopathy like mm-hmm. how much of what is the real marjorie and i feel like that's a question that's going to take a long time to answer and a lot more observation yeah and when she does things like get out of her uh perfect example there, right um and and meet with the children, the orphans. Is yeah. that the real Marjorie, or is right. that also an act? Because you know that, like, for the people, right? Because she's that's that's kind of uh, Tyrell marketing. Mm-hmm. Hey, look at us! We got the wagons of food, and we're coming in. Like, get, don't don't tell your friends. Right. Tyrells are the ones with the with bringing home the bacon, yeah. not these land. So yeah, like, what what is her? If you peel everything, all the uh, the artifice away, what is she? Uh, where are her affections? What does she really think? Um, is she just just as raw, naked power and ambition? Uh, uh, it's 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 interesting. And Natalie Dormer is such a just inscrutable in the way she <laughs> smiles and the flash yeah. of her eyes, and it's it's she's 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 good. I, I do feel like Marjorie is playing a slightly deeper game than Cersei is playing. In that <laughs> Cersei is blinded by this Joffrey conundrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and trying to win the affection of her child, but Marjorie is doing both that and winning the affection of the people at the same time. She's almost right. stealing the loyalty of King's Landing away from the Lannisters. I feel like, but but Cersei's short sighted because I feel like the real play would be to just let your son be infatuated by this woman. Uh, you know how capricious and mercurial Joffrey is. Eventually, she'll piss him off, right. and then you slip in with the like. You know the, the the poison you start pouring in his ear. Yeah, um, maybe help her along in making a couple mistakes. <laughs> right, exactly. But Cersei doesn't have the patience for the long game, and she's yeah. she's she's in a position she might never have been before, where you know she's not the fairest in the land, and she's being supplanted. And you know, the last time that <laughs> happened, you know, she she it was a dead woman like that that her husband was carrying a torch for. And she didn't really give a shit because she didn't really care about that guy anyway. Yeah. Um, now, I, I it's... You it's, think she's going to run to daddy for a little bit of help here with Joffrey? Uh, I mean, that would be another smart play. Just like, you know, let Tywin yeah. bring this boy king to heel uh, if he thinks it's so easy. Uh, and boy, that would, be, that would be an awesome sight. All right, we go to another quick scene where Lord Karstark tells Rob that his <laughs> grandfather's funeral is essentially a distraction from the real mission which in his eyes is revenge, uh, and that he lost the war the day he married Talisa. Some some tough tough truth here from Dark Lord Karstark. Yeah, and I love the thing about my speak my mind, your grace, uh-huh. and he's like, oh, you haven't been speaking your mind, <laughs> right? Um, and then he drops some real mind speaking on him, right? About I mean, that's the thing, like. Him saying if this is about revenge, then I have faith. Essentially, like I don't, I no longer believe in a militarily achievable objective. Yeah, I I can get beyond. I can get on board just fucking killing as many Lannisters as I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's pretty pre- pretty uh, dispiriting to hear if you're this guy's king. Yeah, they they just don't have the people to do it. Um, Especially I don't now think he that, understands that Rob. Right. The, the, he doesn't think that Rob has the will to do it or the ability to do it. Right. And so he's and lost this is faith. a boy king, and he's being Twitter pated by his new, uh, you know, lover. Like yeah. Roos is walking in on the making out. Like that's got to be like it's it's not great politics that Rob's playing here. Yeah. I guarantee Tywin isn't making out with anybody. No. <laughs> nope. Other right. than his balance sheet, maybe. 
Uh, so after that all happens, Talisa sees Catelyn making her weird dream catcher thing. What are what are these things? Seven sided dream catcher is what I wrote about. Okay, <laughs> cool. Because uh, this is a scene invented for the show. It does not appear in the books. Oh. Do those things that she's making at all appear? I can't. I can't. I, uh, you know, because there uh, was one over Brand's bed. I remember seeing that. In season right, one. right, right, right. I mean, I maybe. I, it's been it's it's been a while since I've read these early books, so I I, yeah. I, I, I don't I I wouldn't stake my reputation as silly, serious Westerosi religious scholar if I say either way. But <laughs> okay, it does feel like something that a uh, that a mother would do, and you know, mm-hmm. like knit this thing that represents the seven, and try to get your. It's just kind of like hanging a cross over the bed, you know, yeah. like try to get any help where you can get. And I love, you know, I think Cat's very one note in the book. You know, it's she. It's hard for her. It's hard to be sympathetic for her viewpoint of John, but this kind of humanizes. Like she realizes what a shit she's being, mm-hmm. but she's so consumed with jealousy uh, of her husband and this uh, infidelity that he committed that she can't even knowing what a shit it makes her. Now she she said what she said that I was the worst woman who lived. Uh huh. And keep that in mind for the Shay and Tyrion scene coming up later, right? Where she's extraordinarily jealous as well, right? Uh, right? Right? But yeah, but she she knows she's being a shit. She just can't she can't mm-hmm. help it. Like like even her piousness, which uh, by all accounts seems seems intact and legit, she'll she'll forsake a sworn oath through the gods mm-hmm. to keep being spiteful to John, which must like a feedback loop, right? Like like you know this is this this character's bringing out the worst parts of you. How hard is it to transfer the blame on that person for that? Like, man, mm. imagine how awesome my life would be, and I'd be the perfect mom, and now I got the stain on me, and I can't wash it out no matter what I... I mean, yeah, she's still a shit and the worst woman who ever lived, but the self-awareness, I thought, uh, I really appreciated. And it gave a nice little moment between her and Talisa. Uh, and she blames herself, most importantly, uh, for all that's happening now with Bran and Rickon. Uh, she blames herself and and essentially blames her, you know, not keeping her promise to love John on yeah. what's happening now. Yeah, and you know it's interesting because like I often wonder, like, man, what would a Stark's family history have been like if John <laughs> had been legitimized? If he uh-huh. was John Stark, if if you know, because like if Ned went to the king and been like, "Yo, man, I want you to legitimize my bastard," Bobby B'd yeah. be like, "Right on, Ned. Mm-hmm. I'll legitimize. <laughs> I got a, I got a bunch of blank legitimization let's, forms. Let's of, just keep let's keep this let's, train let's rolling. Go I got so many party. bastards. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's go hunting birds, not not <laughs> not boars. Uh, he he would have done it. He would have done it. And like, what a difference yeah. that. And like, instead of John brooding in the back. Anytime there's an official dinner and being kind of, you know, partitioned off from the family, being one of them. And, um, yeah, yeah. What, what, what a big difference that would have made. But then mm-hmm. you also think like what would, what it would happen if John had been left at Winterfell, if it would have been him garrisoning it instead of Bran, like mm-hmm. would it ever, yeah. like there's all kinds of like cool what if games you can think about that, but mm-hmm. you know, she didn't do it. She didn't do it. Not even after promising the gods. Nope. Shame on her. Uh, all right, we go up to Mance and John up in the up beyond the wall, and Mance is impressing upon John the difficulty of uniting the Wildling clans and his secret weapon uh, that he uses, which is the truth. They're all going <laughs> to die if they don't get south. Right. Uh, then John finds out what a warg is when he sees a man scouting through the eyes of a bird, and he reports dead crows at the fist of the first men. Old moral oral with the eagle organ. Moral oral. That's the guy's name. Oral. Okay. Uh, I didn't know that, but all right. Uh, I yeah. This is 
I, I, I like how economical the, you know, like the, in a couple sentences, they really kind of impress upon you the achievement that Mance has. And it's, it's mm-hmm. you know, it's some achievement. It's essentially someone saying, well, you can do whatever you want. I'm walking south. And then everybody being like, oh, boy, what if we're wrong? And, fall, yeah. you know, falling in line. But, like, he mentions, like, there's seven different tongues, different species, cannibals, mm-hmm. like, all these things have been welded together just for the sheer fear of staying behind and 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 dying, you know, in in onesies and twosies instead of risking it all by essentially bum rushing the wall. Uh, and it's often true in Game of Thrones, um, but I think it's represented really well within Mance, the man who plays Mance. I don't know his name, Siren uh, Hines, right? Sure, that, like that sounds like it could be a an Irish name or something. <laughs> uh, but but he is a very serious man, you know. The actor who's playing him plays him with a lot of seriousness, someone to be taken seriously at all right. times. So when he says, we're all going to die unless we go south, I instantly believe him as a viewer, uh, although I've seen a lot of stuff. But you can see the other people looking at him and saying, okay, this is a man who doesn't fuck around. Uh, we need to follow him south. And it also reinforces, like, when he says, hey, John, I like you, but it's going to be super easy for me to kill you if you prove false. Sure. Like, that yeah. also, like, nothing that he says is about politics no. or flattery. It's just straight the truth as he sees it mm-hmm. and as he can and as his will can enforce it. And uh, that's not common in Game of Thrones, um, especially amongst the, like, antagonists that we meet. Right. That tend to be Lannisters or Littlefingers or Varuses who talk out of all possible sides of their mouth. No, it does seem like the Northerners are a little better in that they respect. They are. They're a little... They don't play the game quite as much. Yeah. Uh, to their detriment. Yeah, but yeah. Most of the time. Mm-hmm. They don't participate in the broader politics. They keep their own weird religion. And they don't truck with knights. Like, there's all... Yeah. They, yeah. they, they, they hold themselves apart. Uh, I guess the farther north you go, the more truthful they get. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> truth is cold. It sure is. And it gets, blows coldest up north. Uh, Sam gets some truth in this next scene where Rast tells him that he has no right to be here when better men have died and basically says, stop walking and die. So Sam does. Because that's what he wants to do. down, yeah. Like nothing, nothing, uh... Rast is this guy, this asshole's name. Nothing mm-hmm. Rast says here is necessarily untrue. It's just incredibly unkind, and it's sure. not not much leave no man behind, right. which pisses off Jor. Yeah, it does, and Jor sees you know, what's going on here, and he forbids Sam to die. Right. And then he makes Rast responsible for him on death, or penalty of death. So Yeah, I like, I mean, even and, his, I mean, because that's a thing, like, it's not just unkind, it is totally true. And like even mm-hmm. Grin Dolores Ed, Dolor Dolores Ed struggled to like sugarcoat that. Dol Ed doesn't even try. No, he doesn't. Uh the only difference is they, they do care. Like in, in, in absence of a mortal threat, they don't want to see S- Sam die. But right. he's also a real liability and he needs to dig deep to, to make it out of the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh and whether or not Gior's little speech here can do that. We'll find out, I guess. I wish Dior would be like, Sam, I'm as fat as you, and I'm 40 years older. Get <laughs> up and start walking. Yeah. They don't call me the old ballerina. They call me the old bear. Now get the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bran wakes up to Asha and Summer, spooked by something in the woods. And this boy from Bran's dream shows up along with his sister. 
He calms Summer, introduces them as Jojen and Mira, and says they have very far to go. What a great introduction. I mean, the fact that that we saw him in a vision is arresting enough, but the fact that he can just instantly pacify Summer, this fearsome direwolf. No, all of this, like, those two things, the fog, the the strange nature of, like, Asha going off and leaving him, Bran and or Rickon and Hodor not being there, mm-hmm. it all kind of melds together to make this feel like it might be a dream right, the whole time. Right, it's right, really right. effective at, like, making you question, is is what I'm seeing happening, or is yeah. this another dream that he has faux waken up from? Right. It's I, really good. I think this marks, like, the sixth or seventh, maybe eighth time I've seen this episode, and it took me this many times to realize the, the way they staged this. Bran is looking at Asha jacking Jojen, Mm-hmm. All right. And Mira sneaks up on Asha and Bran is seeing the like he's got a 180 degree view. So right. like apparently Mira either just decloaked off her starboard bow or Bran watched her slowly approach from like <laughs> dozens of yards away. Maybe she used and like said nothing. The, the Tuscan Raider uh, thing where they just travel in single file. Right. Yeah, so yeah, he yeah. couldn't see her. Yeah, she, she was, was just directly behind in the Asha. Shadow. That, that's hilarious. <laughs> but like, you know what I'm saying? Like Bran's like, yeah. is he paralyzed with fear? He's like, you know what? I'm going to see how this plays out. Right. Uh, I that's it, that's that struck me as funny. It's a little Walking Dead, where like you know they're in the middle of a forest, and oh my god, six zombies! Like uh, just mind their own business. Oh my god, this teenage girl took me by by arrow or knife point. Yeah, and Bran is like, you know, surprised and disturbed, and also curious. I think of mm-hmm. this person he's seen in his dream. Well, I, I think he also because of his bond with Summer, like not just like mm-hmm. a pet bond, but the psychic bond. The fact that Summer instinctively trusts him, yeah. I think, does a lot of work for Bran to like feel like, oh, I can drop my guard a bit. This isn't this isn't a terrible situation. All right, then Gendry questions why Arya didn't use her Jack and Death Witches to end the war, to which Arya has no real defense. This is meta commentary aimed yeah. directly at the fans. Oh, I've definitely asked the same question before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, is this the wisest? And, I, you know, I mean, it, it, I think... I think we, we, we talked about this a lot a last season. That they're yeah. all individually indefensible, but like this is the you know, this is a wide the stormtroopers, their most precise soldiers in the galaxy can't hit the broadside of a barn. This is the meta commentary that fans like to like why couldn't the Eagles just fly Frodo to crack a Mount Doom? Why all the walking? Like, okay. That's because we have to have a story, jackasses. Write a better yeah, one. Yeah, and, and it's <laughs> you know, I think the defense we mounted last time is it's a scared little girl right. doing what she needs to to do what she can think of in the moment to escape the situation she's in. And, right. and she essentially says that, you know, well, he got us out of Heron Hall. Right, the first one was a test. The second one yeah. was a desperation. And the third one was arguably uh, wishing for more wishes to get you out of the immediate danger situation. Yeah. So, you know. There's your defense. Right. Gendry. Uh, so she realizes that they're lost and she suggests they go to River Run. But before they can make a move, several members of the Brotherhood Without Banners find them and say that they're headed to Heron Hall and demand that the children come with them. Uh, in, in in stylish fashion, too. That that bow guy. I don't remember his name, but he puts puts up a really good shot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the bow guy. I Which, wrote, oh, uh, Angie, Angi, yeah, Angi. It's kind of like angry, only with the guy. Um, it gets hot high moving. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I, uh, is this the first time we've heard the reigns of Castamere? Uh, the lyrics to it? I would say certainly. 
I think so, I don't too. know about the, the melody. Um, this is, like, the Lannister's unofficial theme song. Um, and it tells, like, so the, the backstory here is that Tywin took over from his father, Titus. And Titus ran a loose ship. And he let his lords kind of, like, run roughshod over him. And when he died and Tywin took over, they didn't know what to make of him. And this particular lord that reported to uh, the Lannisters, the Reigns, R-E-Y-E-N-S, uh, I think. Uh, R-E-Y-N-E, yeah. Um, you know, it, it, when 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 uh, Tywin said, you know, called his banners and, like, asked for his loyalty to guys like, why should I? Uh, you know, I'm in, and like the, the lyrics are like, cause the, 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 the coat of this house is a red lion on like a silver background, which is kind of like the opposite of the, and he's like, I'm a lion too. And my claws are sharp as you. And the uh, moral of the story is Tywin destroys him and destroys his house and pulls it down and, and makes the family of pariah that's just extinct from the land as, as a way of like saying, yo, uh, under new management, and yeah, so some singer to put some some pin to paper, and and the uh, the rest is history. But this you know, Tywin's pretty proud of this song. I, probably, yeah. I don't think he's suppre- trying to suppress it at all. No, uh, this is this is good marketing for him. <laughs> Very. Um, and uh, but yeah, you'll hear this motif a lot. This is mm-hmm. kind of like the 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 imperial march for Darth Vader. Yeah. All right, we go to Shay, who surprises Tyrion by showing up in his chambers. Tyrion's worried that his father will find out, and she says she's worried about Sansa and that they have to protect her. Of course, she gets too distracted to finish this conversation when Tyrion comments on Sansa's beauty, and the conversation ends with Tyrion trying to convince her it's too dangerous for her to be here while she's going down on him. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, this is why Shay sucks. This, <laughs> this whole scene Literally. is why Shay sucks and blows. Uh the idea that a man isn't allowed to admit that there is a that other women might be beautiful. Oh yeah, it, it just infuriates me. Like, right. look, I'm under no no idea that I am the most handsome man in the world. Right. And for someone to suggest that fact to me, right, is not news, and I'm not offended by it. Like, right. It, it blows my mind. I th- th- this stuff I hate. I hate right. it so much. Yeah. No. The in. Uh, so my question is: Is this? I think this is a put on like this is a way because Tyrion has been very stubborn about letting Shay do the things that Shay wants. And this is a, she is now doing this wounded thing as a as a, like, mm-hmm. it's essentially Marjorie only yeah. on a much smaller scale. She is. No, it's, uh, it's obviously manipulation. Attempting it's... to manipulate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so because of things like I don't think she's really that uh, unaware and I guess that's the I thing. I would hope not. Yeah, that's the thing. I was like on oh, my second time through this, looking at it. It's like I I used to think like, geez, Shay, what a you know, what does Tyrion see in her? I still say that, but like I think it's more. This is in, an intentional effect that she's trying to have on. Mm-hmm. And like if she was wanting to get close to some other guy, it'd be some other form of manipulation. But that's what she's really good at. She's really good at extracting the maximum value from her John. Sure. Um, and I think there is a bit of insecurity here. There is know? a bit of insecurity. I mean, she is not. There's also, I mean, that's that's why. I, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I I'm trying to understand that from her position. Like this, this is a precarious situation for her, right? Uh, but it's really hard when it's couched in these. Terms. And this is one of the. And, and and honestly, this is one of the few forms of power women have in this particular sure. world. So I don't begrudge her for 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 using it. Um, but I just yeah, I just feel like she's that none of this 
is I mean that's the thing she's she's a very confusing mix of a character because she's got some genuine affection and love and loyalty mm-hmm. for both Tyrion and Sansa but she's also manipulating shit out of Tyrion and she I that's the thing I keep coming to does she not believe Tyrion about how right. dangerous like my father have you heard the reigns of Castamir? Mm-hmm. He doesn't he doesn't say shit just to say it and he said that if if, if any whore is caught in my bedroom they'll he'll hang her and yeah. he will no she doesn't that's the thing she doesn't seem frankly smart enough to understand the danger she's in and therefore i don't know that she's smart enough to use to entirely be manipulating Tyrion here so i feel like part of this a big part of it is insecurity do you think we're supposed to uh, so i'm gonna i'm gonna try another um attack here do you think that a way to understand this scene is like you do remember the scene with sir loris and rinley where Rinley is getting his chest shaved and mm-hmm. Loras is trying to push him into this idea of, oh, you could be a king. And then, like, you know, Rinley's like, and, and Loras cuts him and is like, hey, it's just blood. You know, like, is this like Shay saying, like, you're you're an oppressive person. Why are you capped? Like, I'm not denying the danger. I'm saying that you are also dangerous and you could be running this thing. Like, she's trying to, like, push his ambition somehow. Because, like, imagine in a hmm. world where Tyrion would, like, aw- like like rise up against Tywin and use his intellect and skills and connections. I don't even know if that's possible, but right. I wonder if Shay thinks... Just like Rinley, maybe in retrospect, it's super She's foolish to She's taken the long way around, because she never... In my mind, she never hints at that hmm. in this scene. But if she, if, if Tyrion wants to protect her and she will not be dis- assuaged, or she will not be dissuaded from, from spending time with him, then maybe, I, like I said, and the thing is that she can't be as bold as Sir Loras because she's not a man. So, like, maybe sure. that's her, her way, way of doing the same con. Yeah. I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't picking up those vibes from this scene, but maybe I'm biased. This is what happens when I, don't when like I watch an episode eight times. I'm like, maybe I should, th- and yeah. <laughs> but no, it's, uh, it sucks for Tyrion, for sure. Except for the actual being sucked, well, I guess. Yeah, that, That's probably pretty good. That party probably enjoys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. We move on to Joffrey calling Marjorie to his chambers to question her loyalty uh, to the traitor, Renly, and why they never had a baby. She tells him it's because he wasn't interested in women, and the subject turns to his new crossbow, and he's uh, about to take this on a hunt, and Marjorie uses this opportunity to earn his trust by faking excitement about the idea of killing things, essentially. Yeah. Uh, playing into his, his bloodlust, his darker side. This uh, is... I got to say, Jack Gleason, the guy playing Joffrey, uh-huh. does not get enough credit for playing a complete monster. No. Everybody looks at him and they go, oh, well. And tellingly, I don't think he's done anything since Game of Thrones. Yeah, I, I think, think like, I, he I think... became this character to such a degree that he, he, he either bowed out and was like, that's my magnum, my magnum opus, or... Uh, I don't know. Maybe he can't get a job because everybody thinks of him as Joffrey. I think I've read interviews where the experience not exactly soured him, but like he found it unpleasant. I can imagine the reaction people had to him in public yeah. and like all that. And I, I I agree. It is very like it's 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 as hard to be this hateable as a mm-hmm. villain as it is to be like a her, like a, a heroic. Like I've seen lots yeah. of terrible terrible villains. Uh, on television and movies elsewhere, and he is just so like inspires so much intense feelings because he is and and you know even knowing that Marge was going to walk out of the room, this is a scary scene. Yeah, like he because you just know that if if Marjorie doesn't walk this tightrope exactly so, 
that Joffrey will kill her. Yeah. Um, and worse, you know, or, he'll yeah, enjoy doing it. Turn in her the into a new, a new Sansa where he's just, you know, she's going to be his pain puppet. Or what he has Roz do, you know, to the other whore. Like, it, there's a lot of bad stuff that Joffrey can do to you that it isn't just killing you. Right. And that's he is mercy. always, always, especially in this scene, on the verge of doing it to yeah, you. Yeah, no, he's he's crazy. And, like, I felt like she was really walking some minefields here because... It wasn't super obvious what path to take, and she was very mm-hmm. like, let him take two steps to me, I'll take one step to him, and like, oh, he is a homophobe, I'll go all in on the gay yep. stuff. Right. But also try to maybe pump the brakes on it, because oh shit, just get my brother in trouble later, mm-hmm. if we start outlawing sodomy in the land. Right, which he's considered doing, as he talks about in this scene. Right, not just outlawing, making, giving it the death penalty, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, but so, that's the thing about... about Jack Gleason's performance, and I guess the material itself, you know, right. there are a lot of likable villains. Right. Like Loki from the Avengers. Like, sure. Yeah, there yeah, are a yeah. bunch of people who walking down the street would not get tomatoes thrown at them. Right. Jack Gleason does not play that part no. in this show. He plays a true monster, a he's hateable, an ir- hateable character. He's an irredeemable yes. monster. Yeah, monster is the is the word for him. And he does it so well. Right. So well. And that's the other thing is like he's also at one point. You know, it's kind of like, you know, Hitler loved dogs. At one point, he was a, a baby, an innocent, and right. he has been twisted by his circumstances and bad parenting and probably some fucked up genetics, if we're being honest, mm-hmm. uh, into this thing. And it's he's uh, so he's not entirely unsympathetic because, my God, you saw his father, you saw his mother, you see his grandfather, his his actual real father's as <laughs> what? What would he even be? His own uncle? Uncle, father, dude, don't ask me. Family, who's related yeah, to Game it's like of family tree just goes into like a little spin there. That's not I, a fair question. <laughs> yeah. So, but but honestly, the other thing is like you don't feel really great about what Marge has to do here by the end of it because yeah. is she going to have to kill somebody or something or and she's going to have to pretend like she likes it. Also, we don't know enough about Marge. Maybe she really does. Like, I imagine there's not, there's more than one frustrated, like, Arya's not the only frustrated little girl who wants to kill things and be a warrior, like we know Brienne does, yeah. like, maybe, and I think there's some statements about Cersei being pissed that, like, she never got to be trained in arts and arms like Jamie was, even though she was essentially his twin, well, not, he's literally, literally mm-hmm. his twin, so, like, I, maybe, maybe she wouldn't be opposed to getting her hands wet. Well, I think you, you're right to point out you know how she has been so many other things mm-hmm. that anything she pretends to, or anything she yeah. is in any scene is right. up for questioning right uh whether that's the true her or not because i don't see a woman who wants to go out and kill as the same woman who would comfort orphan children true they're so it's and, so and stop in the streets at her own risk you know yeah, yeah. to do so yeah so i i think it's an act that's what i assume all right, we move on to Theon having uh, the truth tortured out of him, and he admits to taking Winterfell to bring glory to his father and his house, which I guess seems to seems to do something for his captors because they sort of stop torturing him. They leave at least. And then afterward, the person mopping the floors says that Yara, his sister, sent him, and he'll come back that night while everyone sleeps. Good news. Good news. And he, 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 he takes a couple turns off the foot press too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a little bit of relief. Yeah, but this, like, torturing is, like, you know, clearly, like, it's funny because, like, Theon, I think, gets progressively more true in, like, what he's saying. But then 
at the end, you can see the down, the, the downside of torture, which is your victim essentially will get to a point where they'll say anything and it doesn't really yeah. matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to question the, the motives and the efficacy of the people that are torturing him and what they're trying to accomplish at this point. Yeah. All right, then we move on to Jojen explaining to Bran a little bit about his powers. And we're not privy to that entire conversation because we go over to Asha trying to make fun of Jojen because he needs a sister to protect him. But Mira points out that Asha is essentially doing the same for Bran. Right. Uh, and then Jojen claims that he has the sight as well, uh, which is the power that Bran has. And the only thing he's ever seen that matters is Bran, making him very important in Jojen's eyes. Yeah, and we also are interested, uh, we're introduced to this character, Howlin' Reed, which is notable because he was uh, one of Ned's right-hand men during Robert's Rebellion mm-hmm. uh, and served by his side with some distinction. Um, and, you know, one of the big enduring questions in Game of Thrones is, are we ever going to see Howland? Because he's mentioned, right. he, we know he's an important figure in Ned's past. Like, where will he ever show up? And and the way they're playing with time, right? Um, in in this scene here, where Jojen's saying like, "Oh, I heard about this thing that happened a long time ago." He says he saw it. Right. Like, like my dad never talked about it. Your dad yeah. did. I, I went back and took a peek. It makes you wonder, like, when you know when his his father told him about Bran or whatever he says here. He says something about how he talked with Hallen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when did that happen? You know, right, is right. Howland out there? Is he dead? A lot of questions. In and the scene. depth of affection, the fact that like Howland has heard of the death of Ned probably by Raven and mm-hmm. and grieved, cried yeah. uh, when he heard about it. And the first time, that's something that like you, you imagine Howland is a stoic northerner like anybody else, and that that's the first time Jojen's seen him cry. Like mm-hmm. it's a lot of uh, there's a there's a deep relationship there. Will we get to explore it? But that happened what years ago years at ago, this point yeah, yeah. like when ned died uh ned whoa. died like a year two oh, years ago i man that's a great question because probably I mean, less the, than a year i think has elapsed this this war is right has had to have taken a while right and that's the thing because like things are a lot more compressed in the books i think in the tv show because the kids are aging like it's mm-hmm. a little bit more flexible that like the t- there, there's a little bit more time but I, I wouldn't, I mean, I haven't looked at that timeline in a long time, but it wouldn't surprise me if someone could tell, could prove that this is only three months after Ned's death. Right. Uh, because, you know, shit, shit can happen fast, so. All right, we go to uh, the Brotherhood Without Banners, and everybody's having a meal. Thoros is questioning how the kids got out of Hall, and Arya tries to demonstrate her swordsmanship. Which doesn't go very well, and things get even worse when the Hound is dragged in, having been captured while passed out, and he outs Arya's true identity as a Stark girl. Yeah, this is a scene that I think brought a lot of fanboys down to earth because there was a lot of like, you know, when like she gets her sword out and like starts to do with <laughs> her water dance or shit. It's like, uh-huh. oh, mate, no, 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 this guy's twice her size and has been doing this since she was not, you know, not even a gleam in Ned's eye. <laughs> That's about right. Uh, yeah. Arya has a lot to learn before she gets to start wor- working on her list. Yeah. She may praying. have learned from the water dancer, but... Right. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> she's still a little girl. She's still a little girl and, and, and hasn't, hasn't, has, she's, hasn't quite completed the training, as Yoda would say. I do feel like it brings the Hound down a notch, too. You know, he, he wasn't captured through a vicious battle or anything, but 
you know, he gets too drunk. He passes out. That seems like, you That's know, a weakness. after he got scared of fire and said, fuck the king and, and ran off in disgrace. And he was already visibly drunk when he went into Sansa's quarters and, and, oh, yeah. and offered to save her. Uh, I, I could totally see him trying to drink away the pain and then mm-hmm. just, you know, get, letting himself be captured. It does bring him down. A, but I don't know if it brings him down a notch or that's like the appropriate notch for him to be at. <laughs> right. Uh, he's certainly fearsome in his right mind, but there's lots of things that indicate that he hasn't been in his right mind. Yeah. I wonder what they're going to do with the Hound now that they've caught him. Uh, is this is this something where they're going to turn him in, get some kind of reward? Are they going to kill him for their own pleasures? I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, we don't, we haven't quite. I don't. Yeah, I want to. I want. I don't want to say too much because I know we yeah. haven't quite figured out the the full extent of this brotherhood without banners and who they're allegiant to and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But uh, I'm just asking questions. Just asking questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I at this point, who wouldn't pay for the hound? Like, I think. Yeah. I think Joffrey would like to get him back. The mountain probably would like to the, sure. finish things once uh, for all. <laughs> the, his, his, his hated brother, mutually. Uh-huh. Uh, obviously, the Starks would want to bring you know one of these Lannister lieutenants and, and protectors down. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he's uh, doesn't have a lot of friendly friendly roofs that he could rest his head under. All right, and then in the final scene, Brienne tries to decide whether to navigate an open bridge while Jamie taunts her about it. When they finally do cross the bridge, Jamie steals one of Brienne's swords and they fight. And Brienne is unwilling to kill him, so they they essentially fight to a standstill um, until some men approach. And they have a man who Brienne, the man who Brienne refused to kill earlier in the episode, with them, and he IDs Jamie. I'm really the, worried the, about the this poor dude. I thought they were going to kill like when they said, "Give the man his gold," that they're just going to kill him. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, these, these seem, I mean, these are, uh, these, these are the expert hunters that Roos was speaking of, uh, about, mm-hmm. um, so they have done their job. Uh, you, it's interesting because you said they're fought to standstill. I thought that's how I remembered this going too. But when I watched it, I remarked at how Brienne was kicking Jamie's ass at the end. Like it, she started very wary because this is the, this is Jamie fucking Lannister. He's the best sword right. in the, the kingdom. He's handcuffed, mm-hmm. hasn't had a set sword in months, he's been underfed, his muscles atrophied, he's and covered in his own shit. And the there is a point in the middle where Jamie realizes, oh shit, I can't beat this woman. No, and, it's it's the moment when he shul- tries to shoulder check her and she and he ends up on his ass. Yeah, busting <laughs> in the, the face moment. with her gauntlet. And then it's yeah. then Brienne turns into Darth Vader on Bespin, where she's just parrying his blows yeah. effortlessly and 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 taking it to him. The the reason I say a standstill here is because she can't kill him. Yeah. Like right. she, all she can do is like wait until he wears himself out right but that's the thing is like there there were stakes in the beginning of this battle where jamie's like oh what are you going to do if you don't kill me i'll kill you and Mm -hmm. then it's like jamie's like well i can't do that so i (laughs) guess i'm just going to get beat by this great beast of a woman who moves well yeah um yeah i don't know and i also feel like that he's giving her some legit tips too because like brienne is certainly a force of nature but i don't know that she is the most skilled of warriors, so like this whole thing about you shouldn't grimace before you lunge. Yeah, you yeah. shouldn't. You shouldn't tell a grape. I I feel like that that's going to make her uh, a better warrior going down the line. Yeah, it does feel like they, man, J- Jamie without the handcuffs. That's uh-huh. what I want to see. Yeah, because it does feel like Jamie has this sort of almost like a you know serial Pharrell kind of style where he's about finesse, he's yeah. about uh, position and that kind of thing. Whereas Brand seems to be about brute strength and right. and size. 
And uh, I think I think also Jamie spent a lot of time just fucking around, like just enjoy, like I'm gonna enjoy mm-hmm. cutting this woman down like the tr- like a tree, and just fucking with her, and then realize his tank was half empty mm-hmm. and he's a little rusty, and just like yeah, it, it's a really. Game of Thrones is not short of its action scenes, but what I really like how they do is they tell they tell a story. Like, the same way that, like, Jamie and Ned's uh, fight in Season 1 told a story. Uh, the same way, like, the, the, the Battle of the Blackwater told a story. Like, this told the, this, this really interesting story with, like, a, a, a surprise twist in the middle and... It's like a like a, a, a play in three acts. It's it's really good, and also mm-hmm. it's also because you know we've been talking about like how politically fucked Rob is. This mm-hmm. is kind of like a gut check for that because we see like a tertiary bannerman of his being bribed by a Lannister and all that means is like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm like mm-hmm. the the king of the north will have my head. So like, yeah. uh, if if Karstark's position is he's already lost a war. The people under the people under the people of Rob haven't gotten a memo yet, right? And they still yeah. believe in the cause. So, and I, this is a huge moment for Rob, right? Recapturing yeah. Jamie Lannister. You know, yeah, he's that, correcting the mistake his mother made. Yeah, uh, they have leverage again. This would this would smooth so many things. I mean, they're still bone from a numerical standpoint, but right. this would really solidify his power and mm-hmm. get him prestige back in the eyes of his men. But especially with the person we've pointed out as the military leader, uh, Tywin. Yeah. Who, this is his golden child, right? right. <laughs> like, he, he he has no other male sons. Uh, they, well, sons are always male, by definition. Right. Uh, well, in Ty- his eyes. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, it, Tyrion is not a candidate for anything. So he, yeah. I believe, prizes Jamie. Oh, yeah. Even though he's, you know, the King's Guard and he can't inherit lands or titles or anything like that. No, I, I think Tywin's one bad cough away from figuring out a way to lean against the High Septon to, like, find a, something in the, the, the Book of the Seven to mm-hmm. to explain how a Kingsguard can <laughs> renounce his oaths and re-inherit lands and all that. Yeah. Right. Like, he gets, he comes down with a cough and that's it. Like, yeah. like, whoever the High Septon is will be replaced until there's a High, the high Septon that will be amenable to that change because that's that's got to be. That's got to be his plan. Yeah, I mean, J- Jamie in this scenario very much feels like the the queen on the chessboard. Yeah, and they just captured it. Unless Tywin's going to like find another wife and get the get the making more babies. I don't I don't see him being the, have the patience for that. Him. Yeah, no, I don't see the women having the patience for him. <laughs> frankly, <laughs> I don't know. I wonder how he'd feel about because like if Joff maintains the throne, we know his little brother's Tommen. I wonder how he'd feel. Maybe Tywin's long term plan is to put Tom but I don't what does Tywin believe about the situation with Jamie and Cersei because I wonder what Tywin <laughs> yeah. think about putting because like if he knows about it maybe he feels good but I don't know that he I mean Tommen's a Baratheon mm-hmm. like nah no way no way probably something through Ke- his his brother Kevin and uh, okay. maybe Lan- fucking Lancel anybody with the name Lannister right I think think he'd be okay with right yeah except for unless unless it's uh, Tyrion. oh well of course yeah <laughs> Tyrion doesn't exist to him and that, that's the end of the episode that is in the, the episode it's a good one before we get to feedback i'd like to take this opportunity to reflect on why we are in the middle of a massive game of thrones content drought where people aren't paying attention about this subject and it probably doesn't make good businesses sense to do it why are we releasing Game of Thrones season season three? Uh, well, because we like Game of Thrones and we're we're kind of in, feeling the effects of the drought, and uh, you know 
we, we, we do this full time, so we can do whatever the hell we want. And the reason we can do it full time and do what we want is because our listeners allow us that uh, leeway uh, to do so through the club by supporting us through the club, club.baldmove.com. Um, it's a great way to keep us doing the cool things that you like for us to do, and you can get some really cool stuff for yourself. We've got um, uh, to help me out here, ad-free feeds, so you never sure. have to hear me pitch this goddamn club again. My favorite uh, lunch with Jim and Aaron. Lunch with Jim and Aaron uh, every Friday at one p.m. Eastern Standard. We get together. People ask us questions on Twitter and on the forum, and we answer them live. And we have a good time doing it. It's like a little variety show. We got first run bald movies with spoilers. We got quit your pitching and video game playthroughs and all kinds of extra bonus content. Most of our podcasts we record live on video so you can actually watch it. You don't have to wait for us to produce it and release it later. All pretty cool. Uh, and it can be yours by going to club.baldmove.com. Support us. Get some cool stuff for yourself. Win, win. Club.baldmove.com. We have a bit of uh, non-spoiler feedback to consider before we get into the spoilery stuff, and we got quite a bit of that. Uh, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com is where you want to send that. I'm also trolling the forums. I got a couple forum feedbacks this week, too. Uh, Gabe. Did I say the forums? Forums.baldmove.com? Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Forums.baldmove.com. Uh, Gabe. Hey, guys. I may have missed this at some point, but just curious if Aaron's new religious book will be available on audiobook in the somewhat near future. As a dad of two little kids, there's no way I could actually have time to pick up and read a physical book. But audiobooks are easy. Just curious. Um, that the, I would like to do that, and we're going to set up a stretch goal hopefully this week to like try to raise funds for that. Um, but it's it's tough because like I, I what I want to do is go through the ACX, which is the Amazon Creative Exchange, and like actually have it professionally produced. And whether I read it or someone else reads it, like you know, have that pro- professional production so it looks and sounds and work and works as an audio book and has whisper sync and all that kind of stuff. If we can't do that, I could see myself actually releasing an informal audiobook, which will just be essentially a series of podcasts that I give to, you know, people who maybe maybe we could sell this on a bald move site or something. It would just be like a collection of podcasts where I just read the chapter with the gear that we've got and make it that way. But I I, I want to make that happen, not just for guys like you and, and gals in your situation, but I know for a fact we have a few blind fans because they've actually reached out and, 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 and talked to me. Uh, and I'd feel, you know, just from an accessibility uh, stand, standpoint, I think that would uh, that'd be cool. But, yeah, if you guys want to check that out, uh, once again, book.baldmove.com. We're funded. That's cool. Uh, yeah. Now we're seeing, like, if we can raise money to make it even cooler. So uh, Mike from St. Louis was recently watching some Game of Thrones and South Park episodes with Game of Thrones and Star Wars themes and got to thinking, would you cheer on and appreciate it in the future – if HBO allowed someone to go back and add more direwolf scenes to existing Game of Thrones episodes, or would that be blasphemy? It'd be rough to do without existing scene, or the, it'd be rough to do existing scenes without reshoots, which would be impossible with the aging of some of the cast. But I would say most of us want more direwolf scattered throughout the series, like Grey Wind and some of the Stark Lannister battles, and of course more ghosts. Uh, is this hope more or less likely than Gurm finishing the books? <laughs> more. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, first of all, you'd have to get actual Stark Lannister battles who, that weren't just like, you know, lead up, fade to black, aftermath with some dude screaming. Yeah. Uh, you'd actually have to go back and film some of those battles. But, yeah, man, can you imagine how cool it would be to see the battle of Whispering Woods with Grey Wind? He's almost the size of Rob's horse riding beside him, just tearing Lannister men in half. Mm-hmm. That would be fucking cool. Uh, and the guy who... What, who's the guy that plays... Uh, um, Rob Stark. 
Because I think that, like, most of the, as I was thinking about, like, most of the cool scenes involving, like, um, most of the, the, the cool scenes uh, uh, involving, like, Ghost involved Jon Snow and Kit Harington could go do reshoots and he looks like Kit Harington. He hasn't yeah. aged a lot. Uh, the guy to play, I thought it was Richard Madison. Yeah, this guy, Richard Madden. I just looked at a, a current picture of him and he hasn't changed a lot. So I think you could mm. do it. I just, well, here's the other thing that 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 uh, Stanky taking over HBO Creative. Uh-huh. I could see him like, hey, special edition Game of Thrones. Let's sell another set of Blu-rays. Let's re-release them and get another hundred million people watching it. Like I'd... Game of Thrones special editions. Yeah, oh, yeah, God. yeah. Uh, you know, Ra- I, what, what would be the Han Drew for like Re- replace uh, Reigns of Castamere with Ned the Drew first? Song. <laughs> he got his head out from he got his head out from the block and and killed Sir Ilan Payne right on the dais and mm-hmm. swashbuckled his way and rescued Arya and they got they get Sean Bean back and it's a complete reimagining of the series. Yeah, I don't I don't see that happening as no. cool as it sounds. Uh, sorry to, to to be Dasher of Dreams here. And that's it for the non-spoiler feedback. Wow. And uh, yeah, we typically this is how it goes. It's the tip of the iceberg, and then we get to the rest of the iceberg in the spoiler. Um, but if you haven't watched past uh, season three, episode two, and you haven't read the books, uh, now's the time for you to turn off your podcast because we're going to get spoiler. You're going to be talking about the entire series, everything that's been publicly released by HBO, including like four more episodes four more seasons of television uh and and several more books so turn it off now and let's get into the spoiler section uh did you have some things you want to talk about spoilery before we got to the email the only thing that i really noticed i guess i mean there there are a million things to talk about but uh one of the things i noticed is and I can't remember if this is a spoiler or not, but they sort of hint here with the camera in this first scene uh, when Bran wakes up from his dream mm-hmm. that, you know, he's him and Rickon might be seeing the same thing. Hmm. And I know that's something that in the books they make a lot more explicit, right? Like that all of the Stark children have some kind of powers here. And it's yeah. something during the watching of the show up to this point that I had not got huh. from it. I wish I could, I, yeah, I'd like to go back and watch that scene again because I wasn't looking for that, but you're right. Because when he wakes up, like, th- the dogs are staring at him. Yeah. Uh, and Rickon wakes up in the same manner yeah, 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 and yeah. looks over at Bran. Um, I think that, I mean, it's a canon fact in the books that all the Stark children have these at least wolf dreams, except for right. Sansa, because Lady right, gets right. killed too too soon for the magic to reawaken or whatever ends up binding these Stark children to their wolves. Mm-hmm. Um but like Arya, like sees Namiria rampaging through the Riverlands, and she actors that one gruesome scene where she sees Namiria like worrying a corpse out of the river that we then find out becomes Catelyn Stark's reborn body. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lady Stoneheart, uh, Rickon has wolf dreams. Uh, you know, John obviously, uh, un- subconsciously, unconsciously wargs into to the ghost a few times. Uh, there's hints that one of the reasons Rob is so good at battle is because he uses. Grey Wind again instinctually, not consciously, to like scout out the battlefield and those wolf senses kind of like meld into his. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'd be really cool because uh, that has largely been dropped from the plot of the the show. Yeah, they're very subtle with it when they when they do it. Like there's some stuff with John when he dies later on, mm-hmm. where like Ghost is sort of acting weird. Right. And, 
And that was like before season six of Game of Thrones that won the popular theories. It was like the ghost as a refrigerator for John's soul. Right. That like John was going to, at the moment of death, war. And that, that's going to be the way that he gets around the whole like you lose a bit of yourself when you die. That mm-hmm. he's going to warg his entire consciousness into. And fa- in fact, that might be how it happens in the books. But he's going to warg his consciousness into j- ghost. And then when his body gets resurrected, has complete consciousness downloaded back so that he can still be like recognizably Jon Snow, but still have, you know, this this miraculous re- kind of white like resurrection. Um, but they don't. Yeah, I I, I would I, I'll, I'll, I want to watch that scene again before next week and see what I think, because that would be a cool detail. Uh, I want to talk about Brand, uh Jojen saying the three eyed raven is you. Mm hmm. We later find out the three-eyed raven is is is, an, is, a, is a different dude, and I guess Bran eventually becomes a three-eyed raven. But mm-hmm. I feel like Jojen is shading the truth just a little bit by saying, "I mean, that's certainly what he becomes, but, but he's it's not seen, what he is now." But but has has he seen the future? That's yeah. I guess like, that's the excuse for everything. Right? Yeah, seeing dif- seeing the entire timeline, he would. He would not make that distinction. Like those I fucking guess. six-dimensional dudes from Interstellar, they just experience, you know, or right. or like uh, the arri- uh, arrival, where they just they, they they can't pass, present, future. It's like all one big thing laid out before them. So yeah. he's speaking everything in the present sense. All right, I'll retract that uh, c- comment. Um, one other thing I want to talk about is I remember it being a huge topic: the whole Theon torturing mm. and how it just seemed to go on forever. And I was wanting to keep track this season, much like we did with the, you know, where are my dragons last (laughs) year? Like, I want to do the Theon torture scenes to see, because, like, right now we're up to two. We had the... uh, the the, the knife under the fingernail, and we had the the the, the foot screw. Uh, I want to see if that was as big a deal as people made it out to be, because as we saw with the where are my dragons, that was something that was certainly a part of the season, but not as big as you thought. It what 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 I think we've realized what happened is that was the Where Are My Dragons was in every previously on. Yeah. It was in all the trailers. So when you think back on that season, you think it's just Danny walking around, Where are my dragons? Where am I when she, that really literally only happens one and a half times. Mm-hmm. So I'm keeping a Theon cor- torture count and uh it stands at two. Two, two. scenes. Um Two scenes? Two scenes. Are we... Hmm. Yeah. There are two in this episode. That's what I'm one. saying. There's two scenes. Isn't there one last episode? Uh-uh. We didn't see Theon. Last time I saw Theon, he was getting oh, smashed shit. in the head by the Ironborn as they were... You're right. They yeah. were doing the 23 skidoo out of uh, Winterfell. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's been tortured twice. Okay. Because um, I, I, I remember, like, trying to figure out, like, why... I mean, I think part of this is the Double Ds kind of do have a purient interest in this. They like this gross shit. Hmm. Uh, they like dwelling on the unpleasant parts of Game of Thrones um, for for all kinds of reasons. And I'm not saying that's bad. Like, you know, Eli Roth has got his crazy fucked up shit that he likes to delve into. And a lot of people like it. Yep. Um, it just I, I remember being the, the visceral reaction for fan base being too much, too much torture. We get it. We get it. He's being tortured. He's being broken. Yeah. Um, I do feel like there's a certain amount that they needed to do to truly sell it to be, me because they do. Yeah, this I, I think that maybe when you're watching this the first time, you think that this is I don't know what, it, but but when you think of it in terms of like they're breaking down this very proud, arrogant person that we met in season one and two, and refashioning him in a brainwashing capacity as this yeah. subservient, almost subsentient, subservient creature. Maybe it's going to be warranted, but it's a conversation Maybe. I'd like to continue to have in hindsight. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Nope. Uh, f- uh, forward looking. Uh, okay, let's get back into the stuff. Uh, I want to talk about some stuff that we left from uh, last last uh, episode because we had talked about how uh, we weren't sure if Jamie would survive because he had to tone for his sins. Mm-hmm. And we had some people in the forums take exception to that. Hatorian says, I was listening to your podcast. You guys mentioned Jamie need to pay for his sins regarding Bran. Uh, however, neither of you guys mentioned that Jamie was severely punished for his crimes. He was captured, jailed, and humiliated by Rob's army. He got a sword arm cut off. It's eye for an eye, but I guess losing one hand and still being able to walk isn't as bad as losing the ability to walk. But I'm fairly confident that Jamie has been punished enough that we can see him as his, at least a true neutral or closer to good than evil. And R.K. Croft uh, mentioned, uh, I can't say whether Jamie needs to pay more than he has, but I also want to point out that he lost all three of his children. Uh yeah, and and he's lost the his father. He's lost his brother, or at least the the affectionate relationship they had. He's lost the love, love and affection. Yeah, yeah the love of his <laughs> life, Cersei, and and yeah. to reveal that maybe she never really felt that way about him the whole time. Yeah. I, I still don't know if it's enough. I, it's it's certainly more than <laughs> I was probably giving it like a second thought on the podcast the, the last time. But I I still that's a lot. That's mm-hmm. a lot. But certainly not everything has been taken from him at this point not quite he uh, still has his life feels like a feels like a, 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 a selfless sacrifice is what and maybe he tried to do that last year when he threw himself at danny's dragons like that was his heart you know mm. like moment of altruism or something i i don't know i don't know but those good points you two does that change your mind at all i mean i think i've always been a little more moderate on that idea oh. that jamie needs to suffer more um you know, I pointed out that he's had his reputation entirely destroyed as well. True. Right. Uh, those sorts of things. I I don't think Jamie is quite as villainous. Yes, he does a a very villainous thing in pushing mm. Bran, but I don't think he's quite the villain that everyone wants to make him out to be. Yeah. He's certainly no Joffrey. I also don't know how honestly Jamie views his children. Um, because I know he had a nice, like a, a tender scene with Marcella. That was like a book, uh, so far a show only thing. But mm-hmm. that I think is the first time that he, there might've been a scene with, uh, a Tommen too, where he tries to, the, he, he tries to be something, or I, I know there was a scene where he became Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, where he tried to give Joffrey some good advice, and Joffrey is like, "Well, you don't know a fucking thing. You're done." Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, or maybe that happens after he gets his arm cut off and he comes back. Yes, because uh, he hasn't. Yeah, he he's been out in the wind uh, ever <laughs> since shit went down at King's Landing. So, mm-hmm. I, that's the other thing. Is like, yeah, he has lost his kids, but how does how does Jamie feel about that? And not just show Jamie, but book Jamie, which is what we're mm-hmm. you know ultimately. I do think one of the surely one of the bullet points that that Martin gave the double D's if they care to follow it is that you know Jamie d- dead or alive yeah like some of the bullet points got to be just like a list of twenty five characters and thumbs <laughs> right. up thumbs down you know uh, uh but we'll we'll see uh Lauren M when we first meet Elena Tyrell she mentions she tried to warn her son and Marjorie about tying their fates to Rinley who she claimed was treasonous to think that he could be king. My question is, don't you think she knew exactly what she was doing? The entire point of the Queen of Thrones, besides doling out amazing one-liners, is to advance the Tyrell family. Do you think she was banking on Renly winning, or the fact that he might lose anyway and her family could continue to climb the ladder of chaos? That's hmm. that's a great question I was trying yeah. to get at in our discussion about, you know, is she, 
is she the power behind High Garden? Is she more of a subtle manipulator that tries her best, but ultimately her fat-headed offspring just kind of do whatever, blunder into their own little cliffs, chasing falcons? Like I, or perhaps I don't she's know. not even as clever as she seems. You know, maybe she only realized in hindsight that it was a bad idea <laughs> to tie their fate to these treasonous. Uh, you know, upstarts. Right. Uh, and is trying to play it off. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I told him all along. Or maybe she thought a bad idea. She thought that was the best play and it didn't work. So now she's working right. the another, the next best play as, as, as much as she can. Um, it yeah. does, it does make me question a little bit. That's a really good point. Right. Uh, let's see. Amber from Florida. Wow. It was extremely enjoyable to see Jamie and Brienne together again, as well as the origination point of the Arya and Hound Roadshow. Yeah, this is, this is the Mm -hmm. very, this is the Genesis. I think the thing that stood out to me the most on this episode was the introduction of Jojen Reed. On my first watch, I think it was, I was distracted by wondering who the hell this kid was, but on my rewatch, uh, he literally answers a question that viewers are debating many seasons later. He tells Bran that he can not only see the future, but also the present and past. My question is, how much does the book answer for us about Jojen and why he is sent to Bran in the first place? The show says that he's basically a vessel to get Bran into the tree. He knows he's going to die, but he knows that Bran's mission is of utmost importance, so he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Do we know more on how he became a green seer in the first place? Why him? And do you think we will ever see Mira again in season eight, or will their last awkward goodbye be it for her? Ooh. Ooh, I just thought of a way that Jojen might not actually know what happens to Bran, that he becomes a three-eyed raven. How's that? If he can't see the future beyond his own death. Oh, that's a common, like, sci-fi fantasy trope. Right. Yeah. So you maybe, maybe you are right to question that, but yeah. It's interesting because in the books, Jojen doesn't get fireballed to death outside of the cave. <laughs> he actually makes it in there, but ah. he has kind of like this Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane where, like, you know, Christ is sweating blood and begging for this cup to be turned from him. And Jojen doesn't do that, but he's withdrawn and sullen because he knows that I think that he's going to die. Mm. And he doesn't actually die in the books. We don't think, but there is the implication that not only was he murdered by the children of the forest, but they then used his blood to mix up with some uh, weirwood paste and they fed it to Bran to kind of like awaken Bran's green seeing abilities. Okay. Again, this is all implication. This is some stuff uh-huh. that I, I delve into in the book that, I, that I've, that I, that I, that I, that, that I'm writing. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that that he knows and like as he gets closer to the point of his death, because I think he's pretty cavalier about it and like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, doing this thing and I'm making a sacrifice and all this. And I know that today and he's also I didn't, I'm not going to die today, no matter how bad things are look, because I've seen my death and this ain't it. Right. But then when he gets to the cave, he's like, oh, this is it. And he starts being sullen, withdrawn and starting longing for home and yeah, and then maybe gets ground up in the paste and fed to his uh, little <laughs> friend here. Wow. Uh, so yeah, that was his, that was his purpose. And that's also, you know, whether you believe that the Jojen pace theory is true or not, um, it's still pretty dark that the three eyed Raven uses children in this way. Like he's very much not giving a shit about any earthly concerns other than whatever his objective is to maybe defeat the others maybe i don't know return balance to the force we're not quite sure exactly what the office of the three-eyed raven is actually trying to do um but yeah 
Uh, and also it's interesting because in the books from Melisandre's visions, we get the idea that like the three-eyed raven represents death and kind of serves the others. Hmm. But maybe because he taps into that cold magic that it's like she can't tell the difference because her fire magic sees that all as evil. And I mean, there's so many questions about the magic of this world. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it's like, you know, will we, I, I doubt we'll ever get satisfying questions from the show. Maybe, maybe the books though. Um, Melanie G, if we get the books. Melanie G, so I was, always had the feeling that the scene between Marjorie and Joff where she strokes his crossbow and asks if he'd like to see her kill something is tied to de- Roz's death by crossbow and Joff's chambers a bit later. It seems like maybe we're being set up to think that Marjorie helped Joff kill Roz. Baelish seems to back this up with his creepy, breathy description of how he needed to shed an underperforming asset while he had a client who wanted to try something new that leads up to us seeing dead Roz tied to the bedpost. Hmm. I never made that connection, but by God, that is a hell of a connection to make. And I'm going to be looking at the sequence of events to see if there's room for that. Because, yeah, that that does seem like a valid implication, right? I mean, the implication here is that she just encouraged his bloodlust and that that led to it or that she directly had a hand in arranging that. Oh, well, no, that, that I think. So the thing I know that happened on the show is that Peter Baelish, you know, Varys tries to turn Roz as an asset against Baelish. Baelish gets wind of it and then offers him up as a sacrifice to Joffrey. Now, did mm-hmm. did he did Joffrey come to, to Uncle Baelish and say, hey, want to kill one of your sex workers, Uncle Baelish? And he's like, sure, I got to know just the girl or did Baelish, much like a lot of people speculated, got in his ear about Ned did he get in his ear and be like, "Hey, I noticed you like killing small, like small kittens and shooting." But have you ever killed a real? You know, have you ever hunted the most dangerous game? Like, I, I don't know. But then that's a separate question of would Joffrey pull in Marjorie? And I guess why wouldn't he? Unless he's just not that confident in his psychopathy. Like, yeah, we're talking about a great hunt, but I, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I trust my queen with this truth about me yet. Right, I'm I'm seeing two two dots to connect, but they're very far apart at this moment. Yeah, I will be watching when this happens to see uh this, to see if there is little evidence here or there because boy, that really puts a really dark spin on Marjorie. It would, yeah. Holy shit. Uh, Sean McGee, in your 301 recap spoiler section, you talk about how at least in the show the three dragons for the three uh, the three Targaryens for the three, three dragons theory is dead because of one of the dragons being dead. But I'm not so sure. Yes, there are two living dragons and one undead dragon, but there are also two living Targaryens if uh, Tyrion is one in Danny and Tyrion, and one undead Targaryen in the form of Jon Snow. Mm-hmm. That's pretty, and I got really excited when I read this email, and I'm like, oh my god, I couldn't remember which of the dragons died. Is it Viserion or if it's Rhaegal? Because if it's Rhaegal, the namesake of Jon's father that died, like, oh man, I'm getting super excited, but unfortunately it's Viserion, the I namesake so, yeah. of Danny's shit brother. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's still pretty cool. You're right. It doesn't really break the, the you know, they'd have to... They'd have to wrest control of this undead dragon from the Night King, but why couldn't an undead king, you know, of the North ride an undead dragon? Yeah, I guess I'm always skeptical of these sort of cutesy-feeling matchups that that people come up with, but 
If it just happened, I don't, I don't see a reason not. Like to if do no it. one had told you about it and it happened, like, that, that's how I try to uh, the judge this. If I didn't know about it and it happened on the screen, would I be would I be clapping in delight or would I be like ah? Right. I kind of feel like I'd be clapping in delight. Yeah, I I just wonder if the magics are compatible. Mm. <laughs> like he's brought back by the fire magic, right? Could he ride the ice dragon? But see, that goes to the core of this other question we're asked, like. Is the fire magic just the opposite side of the ice magic? Is a different way to manifest? Like, what's the nature of a song of ice and fire? Right, right, exactly, exactly. Um, Let's see, Quinn G. My question is a follow up on the the Tyrion possibly being a Targaryen theory that you mentioned on the last podcast. People love this theory, and why I could see it being possible. While I can see it being possible, the only problem I had and can't find any evidence to deny is the fact that Tyrion is the youngest. Jaime and Cersei were the first, so if the Mad King did take rights or his first rights uh, improprieties, that would mean Jaime and Cersei would be the Targaryens and make Ty- Tyrion Tywin's only true son, which I also love uh, so much more. With this being said, do you know of any evidence that says Jamie and Cersei were born when Tywin wasn't married and that Tyrion was there first after the marriage? Um, that's an interesting hmm. question because, believe it or not, Jamie and Cersei being secret Targaryens is also one of the theories because right there in the text, there is mm-hmm. Barristan Selmy saying, oh yeah, your father kind of really boned over Tyrion or t- took some untoward improprieties with... Uh, Tyrion, or sorry, Tywin's wife on their their wedding night. Mm. Um, so a lot of like I said, this this kind of theory has kind of been raging back and forth. Is interesting. A couple years back, when World of Ice and Fire came out, there is a particular passage that was new information where Martin carefully crafted a timeline to bring Joanna Lannister, Tywin's wife, back into Aerys's court, approximately a year before we knew know that Tyrion was born. Which a lot of people see as like, you know, because Martin is aware of this meta discussion. Yeah. Like, why the fuck would you put that in there if not to try to smooth the timelines to make, uh, to at least keep the smoke screen nice and thick? Right. So I'm not saying it's a fact. I'm saying that there's evidence that Martin wants us to think it's a fact because he constructed a timeline that he had full control over after he'd written all this stuff. And for what purpose to do that, rather than to leave open the idea that Tyrion might be the illegitimate son of of, of Aerys Targaryen? Huh. Um, let's see, Brian R. We know after this episode, Ramsay is going to amp up his torture. So, if you were Ramsay, what three items would you use to torture Theon? My choice is orange juice, toothpaste, and a towel. I'd make Theon brush his teeth and then waterboard him with orange juice. The reason I picked this is because <laughs> okay. he believes in the drowned god, and I could break yeah. him by simulating drowning in the most awful way possible. This is what drowning tastes like. That's right. It <laughs> tastes like what is what is it about toothpaste and orange juice, man? I don't know something about the acidity and the mintiness. I, it's bad. It's real it, bad. It's like it destroys the flavor of orange juice, and the drowned <laughs> in that way would be. I don't know that I can come up with anything better than that, honestly. <laughs> no, that's really good. Um, Certainly not thematically more appropriate. <laughs> because the other thing is, like, I don't know how you can break a person faster. Like, just, just unending, capricious uh, torture mm-hmm. uh, to, to reduce. Because, like, it does seem like it, it's not great for extracting intelligence, but it is great for just turning a person into, like, the bestial, you know, uh, like, like, like a not- fully human thing anymore so i mean i think you know i don't want to take anything away from ramsey he does a hell of a job both uh 
effective wise and also thematic. I mean, he puts he he takes Theon's favorite thing to do, which is screw. Right. Uh, he, he screws him through the foot. He he tortures him with with wieners with sausages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Theon's prized possession. Right. I can't think of the third one. <laughs> So you just use foot screws, uh, dicks, sausages, uh-huh. and there's got to be a good one out there. It's got to be. It's got to be. Maybe maybe the person who came up with the orange juice torture could write in. They use women to torture him too. Like right before he did, they the, do. Yeah, because yeah. mm-hmm. um, that's there you the, go. I'm trying to think. Like, what's the other thing that? Because Theon, that's that's a yeah. He's a he's a randy little dude, but he's also covetous of power. Like mm-hmm. I wonder if there's any way you could torture him with that like psychological piece nugget. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I, I would not want to fall in your hands, Brian R. That's some creative <laughs> some creative fucking torture right there. Uh, let us move on. Uh, Shaka C. You both have spent some time talking about Jamie's redemptive arc and the idea that he still not really had a reckoning for the attempted murder of Bran. In the season seven finale, we see Jamie leave Cersei and head north, presumably to Winterfell. This sets up a face-off that I'm really looking forward to when Bran and Jamie see each other for the first time since the fall. I'm curious how Jamie will handle that. Um, Man, I think Bran's over it. Bran's like, dude, I got such bigger concerns than my stupid legs. Yeah, I can fly now. I can transcend yeah. time and space. I, I don't can, think Bran holds against him. I can creep out every female within 50 miles. <laughs> Easily. A 50-mile radius, apparently. And the males. Yeah, it doesn't everybody, matter. everybody. But I really like making weird comments to my sister about her wedding night, and I really like <laughs> yeah. making one of my fast friends who I've been through many adventures with feel like I'm an uncaring monster. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I'm going to let her continue. Uh, along these same lines, I was also... Actually, I'm not sure if Shaka is a man or if a woman. I'm sorry if I misgendered you. Uh, along the same lines, I also uh, was hoping you guys could clarify for both book and show if it's common knowledge that Jamie pushed Bran. I know in the books he's confessed to Catelyn, I believe in front of Bran, so presumably Cat and Bran knew. And if I remember correctly, Bran eventually recalls, so that's maybe two of three people... Uh, in the show, Rob accuses Jamie of it when he's his prisoner, but otherwise I don't think it's directly addressed. Are we to assume it's common knowledge in either case at this point? If not specifically on the show, do you think this revelation will be used as a major point of contention if Jamie tries to ally himself to Starks? I can see Arya in particular taking a hard line over it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I can also see it as being the final straw that crushes any possibility of a Jamie Brian romance that many people seem to want. I am not one of those people. Uh, good question. Hmm. I don't... I, I, I haven't really scoured the tomes for evidence of Bran being or, or if it, uh, how common a knowledge it was, because certainly it was a theory that Kat was chasing down. Um, and, you know, with her CSI Winterfell investigation, like uh, and, you know, you know, she told Ned, but, you know, Ned got killed. Like, I, honestly, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I'm not sure. I think the rumors of the Lannister incest probably sucked a lot of oxygen from that particular fire, even if it was kind of like common knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, I, I, at this point, Bran either knows or could know at any time he chooses to. Like, if he saw Jamie, I bet the first thing his mind snaps back to is being thrown out of the tower. You know? Yeah. Because that's the thing. Like, he, he can access infinite timelines, but unless he knows where to look, he can't. he doesn't. I guess so. so. Seems to be how they're playing it. I'm with Jim, though. I, I don't think it's going to be like a big, you know, they're not going to face off it and start hissing at each other. Uh, yeah, Bran's changed so much. Yeah, and not all for the for the better. No, I mean, he's just unconcerned with those types of things anymore, I believe. Yeah. 
Uh, Kevin R. After hearing your theory, sorry. After hearing your comments about the season six in or season six and season three episode one podcast, I felt compelled to email you. Did we talk a bunch of shit about season six? Uh, yeah, we might have ranked the seasons. I think we tried. I, think but what I, we did. I remember talking shit about season five. But I don't mm-hmm. remember talking shit about season six. Maybe we did. I don't know. Season six stands out as my, one of my favorite Game of Thrones seasons, just like season four. If you think about it, there's a ton of action that happens in season six, much like season four. Standard episodes include The Door. That's, you know, the origin of Hodor. Battle of the Bastards needs no introduction. Uh, and what many people consider the best episode of all time, The Winds of Winter. That's where Cersei blows up everything and settles all family business, very Michael Corleone type. Mm-hmm. On top of those great episodes, we also got the Jon Snow resurrection, one of the first Stark reunions, Jon and Sansa, Danny taking out the cows and gaining control of the Dothraki. The only real low point for the season for me is how they handled the Arya and the Faceless Men. But after considering all this, do you really think season six was that weak? No. I guess not. Yeah, it's... I would put it a notch below season three and four and maybe... Well, I don't... Because two's good. It's good because it's tearing at the height of his powers, and then you got the Blackwater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And season one is amazing because it was my first experience experience of Game of Thrones, and, like, you know, I was spoiled for the Red Wedding, but I wasn't for Ned, and I was, like, blown away <laughs> when his head rolled off. Yeah. Like, not since the climax of fucking uh, Braveheart have I been that just like, the fuck did I just see? Uh so, yeah, I think six is right up there. It's just it's just a notch below because it does have, like, uh, you know, yeah, Arya surviving her swimming in sewer water after having open stomach surgery is a bit of, 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 of bullshit. Yeah. It felt self-inflicted bullshit, too. Like, they didn't have to go that way. They just did it. I'm sure there was a bunch of Dorn stuff in there, too, that was just like... Yeah, but it was uh, all kind of like, I feel like the Double D's got the menu about... Or the menu, the memo about Dorn and kind of like is already shying away from that. Mm-hmm. Like, season five's peak Dorn, oh my god, yeah. what the hell is this? <laughs> is. So, yeah, no, season six, in retrospect, is not... Like, I would not say it's a weak season. I would say the weak seasons are five and half a seven. Mm-hmm. Um, so, let's move on. Uh, Nathan T. After listening to your three season three episode one rewatch podcast, you use Roose Bolton's line: "The Lannisters send their regards" as the punchline to your sisters slash only cats uh, line edits. As in, what if they change that line from the books? The ironic thing is that they did in fact change that line. <laughs> in the books, it's Jamie Lannister sends his regards, since Jamie in fact tells Roose to give his regards to the King of the North. I imagine Jamie Lannister sends his regards will play a major role in the upcoming Winds of Winter since it's one of the last things Catelyn hears in life before her resurrection and time for the sixth book she currently holds Jamie hostage. I'm pretty sure Double D's knew they weren't going to go with Lady Stoneheart's plotline as far back as season three and therefore decided to broaden the gut punch mm. to all the Lannisters, especially since Jamie clearly has no role in the Red Wedding. I guess Could be. that's different than your sister Cat because it's a it's a change that has a discernible effect whereas right you know your sister just like doesn't trust the audience to keep track of this incredibly complex character plot three mm-hmm. seasons into or whoa no i was like four or five seasons into it five se- is season five when baelish throws her out the way it is yeah jesus maybe i because the pursuit is so sick i couldn't tell you sansa escapes after purple wedding and i think she's taken to yeah i think mm-hmm. that that happens in season four um, so I, I guess that's the, and uh, you know, I, I, at the time you could listen to podcasts. I wasn't that outraged. I don't think it's as good a line or a clean as line. I don't know why they did it, but 
I do think it's different from saying only Jamie Lannister versus like, or I'm sorry, saying Jamie Lannister sends his regards and Lannister sends his regards. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I think anyway. But you you are you are correct, Nathan T. Uh, last one, Rebecca from Colorado. During your coverage of season seven, episode four, you had some feedback about how Davos was acting weirdly towards Mer- Melisande. Not sorry, for with Missandei, mm. and how the butterflies must be beautiful on Narth. Which we know, like the 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 whole background here is that Davos says that to Missandei, and the joke is that the butterflies in uh, her homeland of Narth are actually poisonous. Um, I have another interpretation of the scene. Here's a there's a theory I heard, maybe even from this podcast, though I can't remember, uh, that states Missandei is a spy in Danny's camp. Some theories go back go so far as to say she's a faceless man. If that's the case, maybe Davos has a weird feeling about her, and we've more or less been testing her. Like, Narth, I've never been. I've heard it has awesome butterflies. And when she didn't even give him a weird look about how deadly they are, this solidified his thoughts? Oh, yeah, this is the uh, Man in Black Emily theory. Sure. Uh, well, Davos I mean, is a robot. <laughs> if you remember in Season 7, there was a big debate about who was the spy in Danny's camp because sure. the Lannisters kept outmaneuvering her. And... There is certainly no shortage of suspi- like possible targets because Varys is kind of unhappy, uh, Tyrion is kind of unhappy. Uh, a lot of a lot of people were unhappy with the way things were going. And Tyrion was meeting with Lannisters. Teeny, and, Tyrion was yeah. meeting Lannisters. Um, do you think that's actually a plot that they'll pick up and do anything with? That's a really good question. Uh, this goes back to the well, they can't do everything, so they can't do anything syndrome. Mm-hmm. but does it feel important enough to do something with? I think maybe. Maybe that does. Because there's also a lot of talk about Danny losing her mind and going full Mad King or Mad Queen and Miss Sandy being revealed as treacherous after mm-hmm. that speech she gives about us choosing the Queen and she wasn't forced on her or anything like that. I I could see that really shaking Danny to her core foundations and reevaluating <laughs> how she feels about humanity in general. Yeah. So maybe... Maybe if it's Miss Handy? We'll see. I'm I don't know. Sure. This feels like a little bit of like kind of slightly weak evidence, though. But we'll, we'll see, because that is definitely kind of a thread that's been dangling, left dangling. And that's it. That's it for the feedback. That's it for a podcast. Next week, I predict we're going to be pretty light on feedback because we're having to record this way in advance because we're going to be gone next week at this podcast movement, um, professional expo podcast thing in Philadelphia. So uh, we'll probably be pretty light on feedback, which means we'll have an extra heavy feedback when we get back for episode 304. Um, But we will have 303 out on the regularly scheduled time, if not slightly before. Uh, Thanks for uh, coming along on the rewatch with us. Really appreciate all the participation and feedback. It's good to be back. Uh, Until we see you next time, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. Later.